0: Welcome to DemocracyOnTheMove.org, a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. Content for this episode was recorded on Tuesday, August 3, 2021. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we're talking with Wanda Bertram, the communications strategist for the Prison Policy Initiative. The nonprofit, nonpartisan Prison Policy Initiative produces cutting edge research to expose the broader harm of mass criminalization and then sparks advocacy campaigns to create a more just society. This research helps inspire a national conversation about criminal justice reform, but this conversation wouldn't be complete without deep research and analysis. Believe it or not, state-level data on prisons is often completely inaccessible. Thus, the Prison Policy Initiative fills in the critical information gap and helps bring in new supporters and assists prison reform advocates to achieve their goals. Wanda Bertram, the communications strategist, is a graduate of the University of Washington, where her focus on national security inspired an interest in prison policy and immigrant detention. Before joining the Prison Policy Initiative, Wanda reported on local crime justice reform as a Seattle-based freelance writer while producing, managing, and strengthening the communications of an of area nonprofit organizations. So Wanda, welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Dan. All
0: right. So I spent some time on the website at prisonpolicy.org. That's all one word, Prison Policy. And um It's just chock full of information on just about every aspect of prison policy, as well as in-depth studies on prisoner populations, the types of prisons in our country, the types of criminals that get sent to prison, and so on. There's so much well-researched information on the website, it would take a guy like me like, you know, several days to get through it all. So let's just back up a little bit. Can you give us like the 30,000-foot view of the Prison Policy Initiative? You know, what it is, uh, what are its goals, and what it hopes to accomplish?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like you're saying, we, we we publish a bunch of work and we've been hiring a bunch of new people over the last year or so. So we actually we've actually increased our capacity quite a bit. And I'm just struggling to um, you know, get get the word out at a fast enough pace to keep pace with my colleagues who are producing all this great work. So um, but to to kind of give you the 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 greatest hits, um the report that we publish that typically gets the most eyes on it is called Mass Incarceration, the whole pie. And what that report is, we've done this every most years uh, since 2015, Uh, but it's a report that shows in a pie chart how many people are locked up in the US, it's about 2.3 million, um, where they are locked up uh, so comparing federal prisons, state prisons and local jails, as well as some other kinds of facilities and what they are locked up for. So type of offense. So this is the this is kind of your one stop data source for figuring out, for instance, how many people are actually locked up for a drug offense um, or you know how many people uh, are actually in are actually locked up in facilities that are controlled by individuals, sheriffs that you locally elect. Um, and I think this is like, I I think that for all that there is a lot of awareness that we have a really messed up uh, criminal justice system in this country, there isn't a lot of data that's out there that's easily accessible for people to use to kind of show this. And that's where we're trying to step in and kind of fill the gaps.
0: Yeah, I actually looked at that mass incarceration, the whole pie report. Uh, in fact, that was the first one I opened and I just got intimidated by it because, I mean, it really breaks things out really well. Um and it not only gives you like the big pie chart, but then it breaks out sections of that pie chart as well. And it it introduced me to different concepts I was not aware of, with you know uh, prisoners being locked or, or people being jailed, like in in county jails and, and city jails, um, you know, as well as as well as prisons and federal prisons. And uh, my goodness, it was a lot of a lot of really good information there. But I think the most surprising thing for me was that 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 number you just mentioned, 2.3 million people. That is a lot of our population.
1: It's 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 a lot, and it's you know actually the number of people who are directly surveilled by our criminal justice system is a lot more because when you count everybody who's on parole and you count everybody who's on probation, um, then you get a number that's closer to seven million. Um, and of course, you know, we have a, we have a, a, national population that's much larger than that, but, um, what it comes out to is that, uh, it, uh, I think there's another organization called forward that found recently that one in two adults has had a loved one incarcerated at some point in their life. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. incarceration, I think has, ha- has a very large footprint when it comes to people who have had it impact their family or impact their friends.
0: Yeah. Well, I was looking at the incarceration rates um, going back several decades, um, starting in the 1970s, I think it was. But I just took a couple of points off this chart, and it it basically said how many people are considered incarcerated out of 100,000. So everything's always normalized to the population. So around 1980, it ended up being like about 280 people per 100,000. Fast forward to it, it, it peaked out, they say, at 2008, but it's still pretty high. Uh, at that point, it was up to like nine hundred and fifty per one hundred thousand, and that's like that's that's approaching one that's approaching one percent. So, can you help us understand, in, in your opinion or in your experience, some of the causes and reasons for this uh, this great increase in the incarceration rate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that you know, uh, our listeners will probably be familiar with the war on drugs and mm-hmm. you know the way that. Um, harsh criminalization and enforcement of not just drug uh, drug distribution and drug selling, but also drug possession and use um, has led to more people locked up today. About one in five people in state prisons are there um, primarily because of a drug offense. And God knows how many others are there um, for some other offense, but because the police were able to use drugs as a pretext uh, to search their home or to arrest them. Uh-huh. Um, and then on top of that, you've got folks who, you know, just to kind of give the, the the full picture of the war on drugs, you've got folks who, uh, because of a drug addiction, right? Or, you know, uh, in parallel with a drug addiction, were not getting healthcare services or housing services that they needed. Um, and and their incarceration is is tied up in that. Um, so I think you know, people have people have said in recent years, and rightly so, that there is there is a myth that you know drug offenses constitute the entirety of the prison system that's not true but it's still a, a huge part of it um alongside that you you have uh you know it, increasing penalties for uh certain property crimes depending on what state you're in um you have uh, uh it, this is this gets controversial but uh, uh, uh lots of how do I say this? Um, punishing sex crimes with uh, sentences that are, that most other countries would consider draconian mm-hmm. um, and punishments for violent crimes that again, go beyond what other countries do. Um, the typical sentence for first degree murder in a uh, European country is 10 years, um, but we are frequently like sentencing people to life or to the life without parole or to, or in some States to death. Um, And that has all contributed to a very large prison population. And it's something that, you know, we can do something about. But at the rate at which the prison population has declined over the last couple of years, it's going to be at least 100 years before we even get back to the levels that prison populations were at in the 1980s.
0: Wow. Well, they call them corrections facilities, too, but it seems like they're not really correcting anything, particularly if, you know, these one in five that you talk about that are sitting in state prisons for simply drug possession uh, and drug use. um, You know, they're sitting in prison. They're not getting any help. And and to me, that, that kind of leads me to think about this revolving door where people who get out of jail or get out of prison, you know, seem to go back into the system after a short time and it's for a number of reasons like maybe they violated the terms of their parole or maybe committed a new crime or simply got caught outside after a curfew or something um so if i were an alien like et zooming in from another planet and landing here on planet earth i would look at this system and conclude that this cycle of arrest and release and repeat is intentional and i don't know if it's fair to say that but it would seem that when prisoners get out of jail or prison many of them are not corrected they're, they're many of them uh, and certainly not all of them don't seem to be able to successfully reintegrate back into society so what in your view are some of the major contributors to uh, causing this cycle
1: yeah i agree if if i was if i was a martian uh, coming down and looking at our society i would go okay um, you know, there's a, there's, here's a country where, um, you have a, a, a very small percentage of the population that has, uh, that gets quite a lot, gets a big slice of the pie financially. Um, you know, it's a country that doesn't want to provide something, you know, things like, uh, affordable housing and free healthcare to people, um, including people struggling with drug addictions and mental health issues, um. And then the country ends up with a lot of people who struggle as a result, and you have to have some way of managing uh, that population, which is basically an underclass. Um, So, you know, you're going to you're going to throw a bunch of them in prison. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, on top of that, uh, there, there are people, I think, in our criminal justice system who want who 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 think that prisons can be used to rehabilitate. But in my view, they're fighting an upward battle because a society that does not want to, for instance, allow people with a drug addiction to, to access health care before they go to prison, that society is not going to give people, uh, you know, drug treatment when they're in prison.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what do you say to people? I mean, <clears throat> we, can, we can focus a lot on the, on the prisons and, you know, clearly the prisoners I've talked to, they talk about prisons as being state-sanctioned torture chambers which obviously is, is not rehabilitating them at all. So, well, let's turn the table around here. What do you say to the victims of the prisoners? I mean, there are people, I've heard it myself, who would say that, well, prisoners are getting what they deserve. Um, what do you say to them about that?
1: Well, I think that, I mean, I, 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 most, most victims of violent crimes, as far as we know, when you talk to them about policies, what they want is actually not more incarceration, more building of jails, longer, more draconian sentences. They might they might want that for the person that hurt them individually, but on a policy level, what they want is more investments in communities, um, in uh, alternatives to incarceration for um, for you know fixing the the damage and the harm that's done by crime. Um, and I think that's I think that's very reasonable. I think that if we if we actually had uh, a criminal justice system that listened to victims of crime and a society that listened to victims of crime, we would be putting uh way more investment than we currently put in things like programs for youth, uh, you know, summer programs to keep, you know, to keep young people occupied and productive. Um, you know, we'd be putting a lot more resources into preventing homelessness, stopping gentrification. Um, again, healthcare is a big thing, but we really don't, you know, and we we have a we have a justice system that has for years actually exploited victims um, to to push through policies that are just that just lead to more incarceration um and and disproportionate incarceration of uh the poorest most vulnerable and uh disproportionately black people
0: yeah it's it's almost like a modern form of oppression in a way because people get caught into this cycle and they they have a hard time breaking out of it um but just a, just a couple more topics here. Uh, one of them, I'm kind of under the influence of a blog that you wrote recently. Um, and it, your your blog talked about um, the victimization of the prisoners and their families after they're already in prison. Now, you specifically pointed out this system called MailGuard, mm-hmm. uh, which is being rolled out by a company called Smart Communications. And the system makes it more difficult for prisoners to get their mail. Now, they won't actually they actually get their mail, but it's a photocopy of their mail right So if somebody sends pictures or something good luck with that it's not going to come out looking very good. And um, I'm afraid they're going to start charging them exorbitant prices to get and to receive and send mail. And also there's other companies waiting to implement highly expensive phone and email services. It just seems like private industries are lining up to make a buck off the prison population but in general, As you say yourself, prisoners come from uh, the more economically challenged parts of our society. So what's going on here? How could the government allow private industries to fleece the prisoners and their families like this?
1: Well, I think you had it—you had it totally right. It is a—it is a form of oppression, right? Because you are putting people in prison that already come from poverty, overwhelmingly. You know, statistically, we know this. Um, and then when they are in prison, uh, they end up victimized by these companies that are just trying to get them coming and going, and their families too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so you know, uh, you know we prison doesn't just suck in people who are economically, uh, the worst off. It also makes those people even worse off than when they, when, then, when they right. came in, um, you know, and today, uh, something that we talk about in our whole pie report is that the number of privately run prisons is actually, I think overstated. It's only about, uh, nine or 10% at the most. Um, but every single prison has, a a highly dependent relationship with companies that provide things like phone service, healthcare service, and commissary, to the point where uh, the companies, I think, have a very uh, have have a lot of leverage over prison systems at this point. If those relationships terminated, um, prisons would basically cease to function. Uh, so. So, you know, uh, you mentioned at the beginning that PPI, you know, we do research, we expose the harm of incarceration, and then we spark advocacy campaigns. Well, one of the main ways that we have been doing that is uh, unearthing data that shows how much families of incarcerated people are paying for a phone call. And then, uh, you know, working with groups on the ground and, you know, families of incarcerated people to fight for uh, lower phone rates or, or free phone calls uh, across the country.
0: That's that's crazy because you would think that um, and again the prisoners I've talked to um, their lifeline is outside communication right you're sitting in a cell a six by nine cell you know right. twenty hours a day or something like that that's that alone is torture um, then you know your your lifeline your only lifeline to the outside world is you know through written communication letters. Um, I since found out they actually prefer to receive mail. You know, I've, I've been sending email to some prisoners, but they actually prefer to receive snail mail because it gives us something, gives them something to hold in their hand that they can say, you know, this actually came from the outside. So, um, so it's just a shame that they're being victimized even while they're in there. And the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, that they're not being, uh, they're not experiencing the benefits of being corrected in quotes, um, It just makes it more difficult for them to make it when they're on the outside. Um, There's a lot to talk about, and I know you're kind of in a hurry. You've got um, other, you're a really busy person, they're doing all this important work. But um, before we close, can you give us some of your uh, personal major motivations? You know, perhaps maybe three things that motivated you to get involved and do something to help address the issues with prisons?
1: Well, I mean, that, that's a that's a great question. I think the the main thing that motivates me is just a knowledge of how how deeply uh, connected the issue of criminal justice and mass incarceration are to these bigger problems that we have in our society. You know, um, uh, you know the the again the disproportionate uh, accrual of financial resources to you know the rich and the one percent, uh, racism. Um, you know the uh, an inability of people to access healthcare and housing, and I saw it. You know, impacting my own community. Uh, I'm from Seattle, and you know, Seattle at the time that I applied to work at the Prison Policy Initiative was considering the construction of a new jail uh, to house uh, juvenile offenders. Um, and there was a, mo- a movement that was just getting going. You know, to stop that construction, and they did it. They they halted construction of the new jail. Uh, and you know, I think that. It, hopefully the work that we're doing at PPI can get, can help, you know, movements like that succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. What's it going to take? I mean, you, you, you're providing a lot of the data and boy, it's, it's just, like I say, it's chock full of data there. If you ever want to get familiar with, with what's really going on in the prison system of the U S um, definitely go to the, the to the prison org site. Uh, but I mean, ultimately it comes down to our leaders, right? Our politicians actually caring enough to do something, right? I mean, you just keep building more prisons. Well, that 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 just incarcerates more people. That doesn't really solve the problem, does it?
1: That's right, that's right. And I, I think that, you know, uh, there's, I, I just wanna emphasize for everyone listening um, how local this problem is. You know, we have a, a, a president right now that I think is uh, has been disappointing on criminal justice so far. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's, we, states and counties don't have to wait for the president of the United States to, you know, keep moving on, on getting people out of prison. States can do things like expand their uh, their parole processes, right, make more people eligible for parole uh, or grant people compassionate release. Uh, governors can issue clemencies. And the reason I bring those things up in particular is because we are still in the middle of a pandemic uh, where prisons and jails are deadly places to be. And, you know, we really need to, and I say we, I mean, me, you, everyone listening to the show, We need to be holding our state leaders uh, accountable when it comes to their responsibility to save the lives of people who are trapped in prisons and jails right now
0: well they they become wards of the state they become responsibility of the state and their well-being then becomes a state responsibility so the state has a obligation there uh, just out of curiosity do you know how much it costs uh, I, I know it's all over the map because some people just spend you know a very short time in jail other people actually go to like a federal prison or something like that. but let's say for somebody sitting in a federal prison somewhere you know per year I've heard the 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 uh, the amount of like forty thousand dollars plus per year to take care of a person like that. have you ever heard anything about that?
1: I'm not sure I mean I think uh, my my sense on this is that you know we I we get kind of different numbers from time to time on, you know, mm-hmm. how much it costs and whether it's more or less than, you know, for instance, um, putting someone up in a in a, um, in a in a in a house that they don't have to pay for that's paid for by the state. I'm not sure about that. I, mm-hmm. I think that overall, uh, the big problem is that, you know, we as a country have embraced austerity economics where we went as little as little money as we can spend uh, on the public good. That's the best. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think that's I think that's deeply misguided, and it's led to a lot of people losing out on on um, on their homes, losing out on good schools for their children, and all of that just feeds this problem of incarceration. So to be honest, I think we need to be thinking about you know not what's the most efficient way that we could spend our money, but uh, how do we how do we spend more money? <laughs> how do we get how do we spend more money on the public good and um, less money? You know, for instance, on sending Jeff Bezos into space.
0: Yeah, I I agree. But to me, it's more of a I could make a conservative argument if I were to be a conservative politician, which would I don't want to do that. But if I were to make a conservative argument about it, um, I would say, look, if you if you don't send as many people to jail and don't send as many people to prison and instead you um, they become productive members of society. That's in the long run going to cost a lot less, but we need like this little bump in, in interest and a little bump in the, uh, in just getting ourselves, uh, motivated to do something about it. In the long run, we're going to save a lot of money. That'd be my argument anyways.
1: That's right. And I think that's a reasonable argument to make.
0: Okay. So, um, I guess uh, that should just be about it. I know you got to get back to work here, but, um, anything else you'd like to add before we call it?
1: Uh, I just say, uh, you know, keep an eye on what your governors are doing uh, to get people out of prison right now during the pandemic. Uh, ask them if they're getting people vaccines. Figure out what's going on behind bars in your state, um, because this is uh, it's, it's a bad situation. and we, we can't look away.
0: And the Prison Policy Initiative can certainly give you the information to do that. Um, a prison Policy Initiative can be found at prisonpolicy.org. That's all one word, prisonpolicy.org. Um just real quickly, Wanda, when people go to that website, uh, what can they do to contribute? People that are motivated? What can they do?
1: Well, we always welcome donations. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our functioning comes from small donations from you know uh, from just everyday people. Um, but you know also, you know you can uh, we we just really we just really appreciate knowing that our work is being used. When you come to our website, read our work.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Good. We've been talking with Wanda Bertram, the communications strategist for the Prison Policy Initiative. You can get more information on the Prison Policy Initiative at prisonpolicy.org. Wanda, thank you for stopping by today to inform our listeners about the Prison Policy Initiative. Thanks, Dan. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any suggestions for stories and or people you think we should cover at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through our website contact page at democracyonthemove.org slash contact or send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org. Democracy on the Move is all one word. You can also comment on our Twitter page at AllOnTheMove. If you find today's podcast interesting and informative, please tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to help sponsor the podcast at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website or email. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in to our next episode.